0: Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. That's our theme verse from Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 for this week's Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Family pastor JC Thompson continues our series called Easter Artifacts. This week's episode, Symbols of Rejection. Our spiritual practice this week on a note card, write, God is good tape it on your mirror or dashboard, and every morning this week, ask God to show you His goodness. If you want to watch the video of this week's message, listen to worship, or search through our message archives, visit brookwoodchurch.org watch or download the Brookwood Church app. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with the Easter Artifact series. We pray this message encourages you and your walk with Christ.
1: Ooh, 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 ooh. Good morning. He is alive. Yes, he is. Thank you, Mikey. Man, I am honored to be here today. Uh, when Perry was planning this Easter artifact series, uh, he said, Hey, you think you could preach uh, about. Uh, one of these weeks, I was like, absolutely, I'd love to preach about Easter, come on. And then when I looked at which symbols I get, I was like, oh, okay, come on. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm excited today. Now, I, I want to be clear real quick and just, we're singing about the victory. I, I understand that uh, some of us have had a tough year, some of us have had a great year, some of us have had somewhere in the middle, some of us are wondering, will we ever have another year? Like, there's lots of things to, to wonder about. But I I hope today when you're able to sing the words that Jesus has the victory, that you understand the truth of that. God is not up there going, what's going to happen? He knows it's settled and He is good in the midst of that. And that is not to minimize anyone's suffering. That is not to minimize the fact that some people have had hard times, but Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God because his work is finished and he is waiting for the trumpet to sound to come back and get his bride. And I'm waiting. And if he comes in the middle of my message, I will talk to him about that for thousands of years, but I will be happy. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to be continuing our series entitled Easter Artifacts. Uh, we are talking about Uh, These things called artifacts, as Perry mentioned last week, an artifact is an object, something that is made by hand, tools, uh, ornaments, cloth, and many other things that give us information about something that has happened in the past, either a period of time or even a specific event or occurrence. And we look at these things because they're in Scripture. And we believe that every piece of Scripture was given to us for our help, and our edification, and so we want to look at these objects as a way to talk about the Easter story. And today's objects are categorized by symbols of rejection. So we'll be talking about today the sign that was placed over Jesus' head. We'll be talking about the nails that kept him on the cross, although he kept himself there, and also the cross that he was on, which I think you'll understand why I got a little excited about that. Today's theme verse is Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, uh, which just says this, then Jesus said to his disciples, and if you're a child of God, he's saying that to you too. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways Take up your cross and follow me. Today, we will examine the ways in which the people in this story that we have recorded for us by Matthew, we will look at the people and how they rejected him in the ancient world. And my hope is to persuade you not to reject Jesus. But we all have the opportunity today. So if you've got your outline, or your app, or your phone, or your computer, or if you're making smoke signals at your house, in your PJs, whatever you're doing, um, our outline begins as this. When I reject Christ, I reject his divinity. I reject his divinity. After Jesus' trial before Pilate, which Perry spoke about last week, he was sentenced to death via crucifixion. And in Matthew chapter 27, verse 32, the scripture says this, along the way, they came across a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, and they, the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus's cross. I think it's important we just realize that when these characters, these real people get talked about in the scriptures... Um, they give us pieces of who they are. They don't just say, hey, his name was Simon. They let us know he was from a place. And, and why that is, there's lots of information about, I will just tell you, he's not originally from the place that he happened to be at. And yet the soldiers forced him to carry the cross of Jesus and they went out to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. The soldiers gave him wine mixed with bitter gall, but when he had tasted it, he had refused to drink it. Now this particular instance is fulfilling the prophecy in Psalm 69, 21. But Jesus did not initially refuse the offer from the soldiers. Even in this moment of time, as he is being led to his crucifixion, Jesus is being offered by someone. I don't know about you, but my mama taught me that when you go to somebody's house and they offer you something, you take it. Not because you think it's gonna be good, but you take it, why? Way to show hospitality, it's a way to show honor and respect. At our house, we do these things called thank you bites. I don't care if you like it, but you're gonna take a couple bites to say thank you because somebody made it for you. Jesus, in the midst of being led to his own death, is concerned about the dignity of the soldiers who are making sure he gets his cross to the right place. He's concerned because they more than likely desired to generously give him something that was going to desensitize his body to the pain that he was about to endure. And rather than just outright refuse it, he gave them value and then realizing what it was that his body would become desensitized, refused to drink it fully embracing the suffering he was about to endure. Verse 35, after they had nailed him to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Now, I don't love this translation in the NLT because none of the gospels actually say that Jesus was nailed to the cross. In fact, when you get in conversations with people and they're talking about the crucifixion of Jesus, did Jesus really die, was he really raised? One of the things they talk about was, well, we don't even know he was nailed there. Now, we do know that Jesus was nailed there, but not because of the four accounts in the gospel. The Greek language here says they crucified him. And the Romans would crucify using a variety of things. They didn't just use wooden crosses, they would use stakes. Sometimes they would hang people up on the side of a wall of a building. Sometimes they would put people onto a roof but they wouldn't always use nails. Sometimes they'd use leather straps and tie someone to the stake that they were held on. But we do know that Jesus was nailed. How do we know? How do we know that Jesus was nailed to the cross? Who, who? Yes, Thomas, later on after Jesus came back from the dead, Thomas said, I'm not gonna believe Jesus is really there until I see the nail scarred hands. The only mention that Jesus would have been hung by nails was from the guy that we give a bad rap to, Doubting Thomas. Now, there's lots of things about these particular nails. There's lots of stories. There's lots of rumors. In fact, if you were to do a little bit of research, you'd see over 30 nails accounted for throughout history. They did not use 30 nails to crucify Jesus, which means there's some fake nails out there. One of the most Recent findings of these nails was done last year um, and they, after doing some research, they found them, uh, some guy had them and they believed that they came from Caiaphas' tomb. And if you know Caiaphas, he was the guy that put Jesus on trial. He was the guy that presided over the sham of a trial that Jesus had before he went to Pontius Pilate. And the story goes... Caiaphas kept those crucifixion nails with him because he felt guilt and shame over crucifying Jesus. Now, I don't know that that's true or not. I do know that Jesus was hung there by nails through his wrist as to not tear through his hands so that his body would remain on the cross, verse 36 and 37. Then they sat around, the soldiers, sat around and kept guard as he hung there. Why did they keep guard over a man who was being crucified? Because somebody might come and snatch him off that cross. A sign was fastened above Jesus' head, announcing the charge against him. It read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Now we see the sign that is mentioned in the Gospel accounts. In John, we see that on this sign, they didn't just write Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews, in one language, they wrote it in three languages. Now the signs that were used in crucifixions were written so that we would know the person that was hanging there, what they were guilty of. And this is especially unique for a sign to have been written in three languages. It was written in Latin, It was written in Hebrew, and it would have been written in Greek. It was written in those three languages so that any person who passed by would know the crazy claims that this man made. What's also interesting is that the Jewish people did not want the sign to indicate that Jesus was the King of the Jews because they knew that the title King of the Jews was reserved for the Messiah, and they were accusing Jesus of blasphemy. And so they wanted the sign to read the king of Israel, which we will see later in the text given to us by Matthew. But the Romans refused that. So you can view that as what a coincidence or the irony that the thing that Jesus was convicted of, of being the Messiah is the thing that he truly is. The soldiers, Pilate, onlookers, they all would have denied that this man who was hanging on the cross was God Himself. But in order to be a Christian, in order to be someone, a person whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, to be born anew, you must accept that Jesus Christ is fully God. It is a primary belief of our faith. You cannot reject the divinity of Jesus Christ and be his follower. If Christ truly is divine, if he is God the Son, then he must receive the worship, devotion, confidence, and trust that God alone demands and deserves. Jesus did not just come to perform signs and wonders like Moses. He did not just come to heal like Elisha or prophesy like Isaiah, although he did all of those things. These men were not good enough. They were not the Messiah. Only Jesus could fully fulfill the law of God. Only Jesus could come into our place and die on our behalf. And as one of my favorite children's worship songs says, there's only one hero and his name is Jesus. As you hear the story of God, As you hear the story of Jesus Christ dying on a cross, coming to earth, living a sacrificial life in obedience to God, coming in this crazy, mixed up place we call planet Earth, going to a cross and dying for your sins, do you accept this as who Christ really is? Or do you also reject the divinity? of Jesus Christ. If we believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ, if we believe that he is truly God, we must obey him as God. And the things that he said that were recorded in scripture, we must obey. He was not a wise teacher, he was not merely a moral man. He claimed to be God. And he said, "If you do not follow me, you will not Be in right relationship with God. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except through me. It doesn't sound like a wise teacher. He either is God or he's crazy. These are not suggestions that Jesus has made. They are commandments from God given to us to obey. Do we treat the words of Christ as the words of God himself? Or we just treat them as suggestions as we live our life? And maybe a better way to live. Do we truly embrace Jesus Christ as God? Not only can we deny his divinity, but we can also deny his sacrificial death. Verse 39, The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you're the son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. Now don't miss this. Scripture's pretty specific here that these were people who were walking by. And they would have saw either in Greek or in Latin or in Hebrew. This was the king of the Jews. And so they shouted a very specific claim and a very specific temptation. And the thing is, is this is not the first time Jesus has been tempted to use his divine power to disobey God and yet give in to the temptation to not suffer. In fact, Satan himself tempted God with this. Matthew chapter four, verse six Satan said, if you're the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. So not only these guys and women who were passing by, also Satan himself And also, some of his closest friends, if you remember, Peter said to Jesus, when Jesus said, I will surely die, Peter said to him, you will surely not die. And Jesus looked at Peter in Matthew chapter 16, verse 23 and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. See, it was God's plan for Jesus to remain on the cross and die in our place. That was God's plan. I think it's interesting that three separate times throughout the life of Jesus, the same temptation is don't do that. Don't go to the cross and die. Now let's be honest, for most of us in this room, if that is the temptation, we're like, sign me up, punch my ticket. If I'm avoiding death, that is what I want. But that is not the way of Christ. In the midst of being tempted after fasting in the wilderness, Satan himself comes and says, show off a little bit. Just jump off this cliff. And Jesus said, you're not to put the Lord God to to this test. Peter himself, in a moment of intimacy and honesty, said, surely you can't die, Jesus. And Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan. And then these people who passed by and said the same claim, You don't have to die. Save yourself. Jesus did not remain on the cross because he could not get off, he remained on the cross because of you. It would have taken a snap of the fingers. It would have taken a wink of the eye. And the army of heaven could have come cascading down to pull him off that cross. And surely if he can heal a blind man and make a lame person walk, surely if he can cast demons into pigs and run them off some cliffs, surely if he cannot be captured by a mob, surely he can come off of a wooden stick with some metal attached to it. This had nothing to do with Jesus's capacity or power to remove himself from that situation. It had everything to do with the enemy tempting him to relieve his suffering because the enemy knew his suffering would lead to our life. Through Jesus, we have redemption Through his blood, we have the forgiveness of our sins. We're given new life through his death and his resurrection. And our response to our sin must be to trust in Jesus, to trust that his death and his resurrection truly make us right with God. His willingness to forgive and restore us to wholeness in him should lead us to true fellowship and service in his kingdom. His death should not produce sorrow for us. It should produce hope. And some of you know this, you've had this conversation as your children ask you, daddy, if it's called Good Friday, why is it the day that Jesus died? That seems sad and it's one of the wonderful opportunities you have as a parent to explain why it is so good. While this world may tempt us with how horrible things are and that somehow this world is up for grabs, there is hope in Jesus and in Him alone. His work is finished. No matter how dire things here seem on earth, no matter what the economy looks like, no matter how our relationships seem, no matter how unsuccessful or successful we become, there is always hope in Christ because He has conquered death. Do you believe that Jesus went to the cross on your behalf? Do you believe the only reason He remained there is because of you? In your sin. We must not live in rejection of this truth. We must embrace it. And this should lead us, it should lead us to have an identity in Christ that makes us do difficult things, that makes us endure hard stuff. It should make us be able to move in victory no matter the circumstances because we know God has overcome Greater is he than he who is in the world. And Josh Masters, when he preached his three-week series on identity, we should be reminded that that is our status quo all the time. Things should not shake us. Now, please hear me when I say that. The Scriptures teach us what that looks like to come alongside someone who's suffering. The Scriptures teach us to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. It's why pastors don't show up in a dire situation and say, hey, Romans 8, 28 says everything's gonna be good. That's insensitive and unloving to say that. It's also the truth. And so just because you mourn with someone who is mourning does not mean that you also don't at the same time understand this is good for them. If they are a child of God, and are willing to submit their lives to the leadership of God, this is good for them. But that's hard. So a couple things you gotta think about if you're a follower of Jesus, just a couple things. One, can you rejoice with those who are rejoicing? Are you always bringing everybody down? This is awful, everything's awful, the circumstances are horrible, this is the worst. It's not that good, JC, it's awful. And you are at the same time able to say it with someone, when they are mourning, you're not saying, it's all okay, everything's gonna be fine, it's all gonna work out. You mourn with them. It's also why it's important to understand the ministry that Jesus was involved in. He just doesn't do this like, everything's okay. Jesus came in the flesh. He experienced suffering. It made him sad when his friends got sick. It made him sad when his friends died. And yet, there are also instances where someone showed extreme faith in God and he rejoiced with them. I remember a Roman centurion specifically where he said, hey, you ain't gotta go nowhere. You just say the word, I know how this works. I know how authority works. You just say the word and it'll happen, just say the word. And Jesus said, I have not seen any faith like this. The scriptures say he was astounded by that faith. I think Jesus was rejoicing over what this Roman centurion understood. We are called to incarnational ministry, meaning we go sit with people when they're suffering. And when they're happy, we party with them. It's what Christ followers do. But when people stay in those places a little long, we remind them that there's maybe some temptation towards idolatry for these things. If you stay mourning too long for a situation and you never find wholeness in Christ, if you're always up here and you never see reality, that's called denial. And so we bring the truth of God's word. JC, that seems hard. Yeah, yeah it does. That's what we're called to do. What, I don't know the right thing to say, me either. Don't say nothing for a little bit, just listen. But man, we can't be bumps on a log, Are you kidding me? You think Jesus would be at a party and just be sitting in a corner somewhere? You can't read the scriptures and believe that's to be true. That's not his character. He loves people. And so when he is sacrificing there, he's doing that out of a fullness of life that he just lived. And he's staying on that cross, enduring everyone's pain and everyone's suffering. You know, I was having this conversation last night with somebody and we were talking about the difference between discipline and punishment. And this is JC's opinion, and I'm not a doctor, so my opinion is very low. <laughs> but I think when the Bible talks about discipline, it talks about correction. Discipline is used to correct, correct a behavior, correct an attitude, correct a belief. Punishment is meant to define someone. Jesus was never corrected. He was never disciplined by God. Ever. He never had to be corrected because he always did what was right. But he was punished. He identified as sin on the cross. Jesus was punished, so you'll never have to be punished by God. You just get to be corrected. You just get to be disciplined with the love of God. Jesus was punished on your behalf. When we say we believe in a sacrificial death, we embrace that. We embrace that Jesus died on our behalf, that Jesus died for the sins of the world, for the sins of mankind. You cannot be a follower of Jesus if you don't believe Jesus died in your place for your sins that you commit. You can't be. You can't deny that he was resurrected from the dead. These are core tenets of our faith. But the death that Jesus died is also useful for us for another reason. It's also useful for us for our example. When I reject Christ, I can reject his identity. I can reject his sacrificial death and I can also reject his discipleship. I can reject his discipleship. Matthew chapter 27, verse 41. The leading priests, the teachers of religious law and the elders also mock Jesus saying, he saved others, they scoff, but he can't save himself. So he is the king of Israel, is he? Notice that. They won't even say he's the king of the Jews. Let him come down from the cross right now and we will believe in him. And just to clarify, just for a moment, because sometimes you get to preach one message and then like there's this whole Bible here and you don't get to preach the whole Bible every week. Maybe one day I'll get to do that. But right now, we just get to preach this passage, okay? But Jesus did a whole lot of stuff in front of the religious leaders. A whole bunch of stuff that you can't explain. So what makes you think that if Jesus really pulled himself off the cross and said, gotcha, it's me, what makes you think they truly embrace him? I mean, we're talking about a guy who casts demons out. We're talking about a guy who said, what's harder, to say somebody's my sins are forgiven or to say to a lame man, take up your mat and walk? Just to prove that I can do both, take up your mat and go home. And the guy went... Roll that up, okay. That happened. They did not embrace him as the Messiah. If you want to dive deeper, you can look into the three messianic miracles that Jews believe if these three miracles were performed, you can look at those and know it has to be the Messiah. Jesus performed all three of those. So no, I don't think if he came off that cross, they'd truly embrace him. Just like I don't think that if you're in here rejecting Jesus... That if he answers all your questions, you still might reject him. It's why we should tremble when we say, God needs to do this in order for me to do something. No, you're treating Jesus like a man at that point in time. You're not treating him like God. God answers to no man I don't think that. I don't. I don't think if he came off the cross. I don't think they believe in him. They've shown their character. They continue. He trusted God, so let God rescue him now if He wants him. Again, that's a. They're trying to put a knife in and twist it here. Let me talk about what he's saying. He truly thinks that he is. He thinks he's the Son of God. Let me push that knife in a little further. For he said, I am the son of God. It wasn't just the onlookers who were traveling by. It wasn't just the enemy himself. It wasn't just his closest friends, but also the people who studied the Hebrew scriptures so intently, those that should have been the most acquainted with who the Messiah is, they rejected him. This should not surprise us about the religious leaders because they've been denying Jesus since he showed up on the scene, but their rejection should be instruction for us. It should help us. See, the teachings of Jesus weren't easy. Many times people came to Jesus with their questions and he answered their question and they went away sad or they stopped following him. Jesus taught things like wealth doesn't mean you're gonna get into the kingdom of heaven. He taught that authority doesn't mean that you're okay with God. His own plan involved his own torture and death and Jesus willingly chose these things. In this life, those of us who follow Christ are presented at different times the same exact command, the command that is our theme verse. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, You must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. What does self-denial mean, JC? Does that mean I fast during breakfast and practice intermittent fasting? Is that self-denial? Does it mean that when I show up to my favorite restaurant, I don't order my favorite thing? What is self-denial? No, self-denial is simply this. I am saying no to what I want and yes to what God wants. I am saying no to what I want, and yes to what God wants. Which means that in your life, there may be things that you want that God does not. And there may be things that God wants for your life that you do not want. I don't think that this is a one-time conversation with Jesus. I think that as you live your life as a disciple of Christ, you will come to these forks in the road where something happens, either by nature of your circumstances, your relationships, some opportunity, some conflict, and Jesus stands at the fork in the road and he looks at you and he says, if you want to be my follower, you need to turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. This is one of the most beautifully difficult things about discipleship. It is beautiful in that Jesus is who he says he is. There's nothing that Jesus didn't say no to selfishly that we can go, well, you don't know about this. You don't understand this. You don't know what this is like. Jesus suffered all things. And it's beautiful because when you do this, And I may need somebody to give me an amen on this because I need some testimony from the congregation at this point. But when you say yes to a difficult thing, either a difficult obedience or a moment of suffering that your circumstances have provided you, and you know this is not the way that God designed the world, but you know this is what God's plan is for you now. And Jesus looks at you. And He asks you to take up your cross and follow Him. And when you embrace that, that is a level of intimacy and relationship with Jesus that you cannot understand any other way. If we continually avoid suffering, we will not gain the depth and intimacy of a relationship with Jesus. And I'm sorry if I'm about to get emotional now, but I... I remember many times in my life. I remember many times where Jesus stood there and he was present with me. I remember one time being in the emergency room as I don't know if my wife's gonna come out and there's a Thompson family there. And they say, what what are you in here for? And I explained to them, And they said, can we pray for you right now? I said, only if you'll tell me your name. And they said, our name is the Thompson family. I said, that's my name too. I remember when we had our first miscarriage and the nurse, the nurse shared scripture with us. And as we're asking the questions that true disciples of Jesus ask, are you good? Are you able And this nurse shared with us the love of God. I don't think you can meet Jesus in those ways if you are continually trying to avoid suffering. Can I tell you something? I got four boys running around the house right now. It's absolutely nuts. It's nuts. Chris and I, we look at each other and we go, what are we doing? What are we doing? And both of us at different times have shared. Jesus has confirmed to us that this is what we should be doing. What's hard though, what's hard though as I look at American culture, avoiding suffering is one thing. We avoid inconvenience like it's death. Death. What if we had posted on Facebook today on Brookwood Church and said, hey, the HVAC's not working and there's some odd smell in here. And I'm being silly, so you don't feel as guilty. But how many of y'all would be like, hmm we'll catch it online? Can I tell you something? And I don't want you to take on shame. Shame is not of the gospel but I want to be truthful with you. Over the last four years in family ministry, our adult volunteer numbers have declined. It is not the pandemic's fault that those numbers have declined. Thankfully, our teenage volunteer numbers continue to go up. So we can still do ministry because our teenagers have stepped in the gap. It is... Frustrating as I'll get out when I hear older people, I'm not saying old, older people say this next generation, they're going to be ruined. We are concerned about doing Adventure Week for the rest of time because we don't have enough volunteers that are adults. We got plenty of teenagers. Summer camp's coming up and we're wondering, are we gonna have enough adults volunteer? Because teenagers are hard. Or I wanna break from my own teenager. We will avoid inconvenience. Why do we think that our discipleship will somehow be okay when we really suffer? And I don't want to guilt you and shame you. I want you to let you I want to let you know from my own life there are things about Jesus I know that came only through suffering there is a peace that you don't understand that only comes when you need it and he is good you know all the things I've been through in my life God is good God is so good I could spend two hours up here telling you, just from my own life, how good God is. But man, we avoid the cross that Jesus puts in front of us. And it's hard because Jesus said that his yoke is easy. It's hard because not only did he give us the easier burden, he also agreed to carry it with us. He also gives us the Holy Spirit that's inside of us. He also gives us a gift to serve. He gives us all these things. And we avoid hard stuff in this country? Matthew 10, 28. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. Jesus had people who really wanted to kill his body. You understand what I'm saying? Like Jesus is saying, this is what's gonna happen to me. Don't be afraid of those people. It's amazing when you read the story of the crucifixion, Jesus is not afraid, never. Not when the nails come out, not when the spear comes out, not when the drink comes out, not when the spitting comes out, not when the plucking comes out, not when the crown of thorns come out. All those things happen to one man, never afraid. He continues to say, fear only God who can destroy both your body and soul in hell. This reminds me of the prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he reaches out to God and he says, God, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, please let it pass. And after that prayer, he drank the cup of suffering. But I don't want you to miss out for those of you who have been suffering because that cup did pass from Jesus after he drank it. His suffering found relief. It's my favorite thing to read about Jesus when he's resurrected. It's like he's flexing on people all the time when he's resurrected. He's like, I'm in this room, I'm out of this room. Look at my nail-scarred hands. I wanna eat breakfast with my buddies. That's what I'm gonna do. And then I'm gonna just fly up into heaven. I mean, he ascended into heaven. He could have disappeared. He could have had a horse. But like, my picture is he's just floating up there. Like, what in the world? Like, he is flexing his resurrection body on people. You know why? His suffering's done. His work is finished. His job is complete. And one day when we enter into paradise, our suffering's over. So that suffering that you endure now, that cup that God has given to you to embrace, the only way that you'll find that intimacy and depth is to take it and to drink it. But one day you'll find relief. One day that suffering will pass from you and you will enjoy full, intimate, deep fellowship with God. When we obey Christ and choose to suffer on his behalf, it is where our relationship with him grows most intimately, deeply, and fully. It is also where our worship moves from the words of a musician to the words of our heart. Old school theologians call it union with Christ. The scriptures call it communion with Christ. But only when we embrace the discipleship that Christ Jesus has for us. This is not easy. Most of the time it's real hard. But it is also the thing that Jesus did for you. So if you're a follower of Jesus in here, I'm asking you, pick up your cross. You know what it is. I don't have to give you a hundred reasons. You know what God's asking you to do. Maybe it's to serve, maybe it's to give, maybe it's to come back to the family of God. If you're online, I don't want to shame you for not being here, I'm happy you're watching online, but I miss you, I miss you. I want to give hugs again, I want to sing out loud and not worry about where my particles are going. And I hope you'll come back, I hope you'll come back. For me, This is a hard truth of being a follower of Jesus, but if you've ever met someone who suffered greatly, you know, you know the relationship that they have with God. And most of them wouldn't change a thing because they know it would mean sacrificing what they know about Jesus. So if you're in here and maybe everything's good for you, man, rest. Don't do more stuff. Don't do more stuff. Enjoy the fact that you're doing everything God called you to do. But also tell somebody else how to do that, please. Just invite them over for coffee or invite, go to somebody's house for coffee or, or a store or whatever. Just go somewhere, talk to them, call them on the phone, FaceTime them, send a carrier pigeon, and tell them how do you align your whole life to Christ? We shouldn't be angry as followers of Jesus. We shouldn't be without hope. We shouldn't be overwhelmed. Jesus has overcome this world. But you must not reject the plan of discipleship that he has for your life. And if you look at your life and there's no hard things in it, you should pray. And you should say, why am I not carrying the burdens of someone else as the scriptures call me to? Why do I not understand what it means to join in the sufferings of Christ as the scriptures say? We must love him and devote ourselves to his teachings. So my question to you, if you're a follower of Jesus, what is he calling you to do? What is he calling you to do? Let's pray. God, we love you. We're thankful for the story of Jesus going to the cross. And God, I pray, I pray that if there's someone in here, if there's someone online who does not know who you are, I pray God that they would, they would embrace you, that they would stop rejecting you. If there's a follower of Jesus, a child of God, I pray that your word would be disciplined to them today, that they would feel corrected in a loving way. But God, I pray that they do what you're calling them to do, that they would obey the thing that they keep hearing you say, and that they pick up their cross and follow you. And I pray, God, that you'd meet them there. I pray, God, we have hundreds more people knowing what it's like to suffer for Jesus. God, we love you so much. Thank you for Easter. Thank you for Good Friday. Thank you for Great Sunday. And we love you. Help us as we go into our community to be your representatives. It's in the name of Jesus we pray these things and all God's people said. Care volunteers will be down here up front. If you're online, you can request prayer online. We'd love to pray for you. Thank you all for being here.
0: Thanks for joining us for this week's message. Our memory verse is Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn for your selfish ways, pick up your cross and follow me. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Please email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864 688 8326 to speak to someone on our connections team. If you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast and thanks for listening. Have a great week.